What's going on, everybody? Happy Sunday, happy Sunday, happy Sunday. Excited to see everybody on here tonight. I know uh, there is a fight going on tonight that a lot of people are watching. The Logan, I think it's Logan Paul and uh, Mayweather are fighting tonight. So, um, you know, Pace and I were talking about still, still coming on here and still doing Sunday service. We want to, you know, continuously as much as we can be on here uh, to bring value to you every Sunday. And, you know, for everybody that is on, happy Sunday. We're excited, excited to have you here. Um, for those of you that are tuning into Sunday service for the first time, uh, we run this show. My name is Cody Barton, uh, my business partner, Pace Morby. We've been doing Sunday service since summer of 2019. So we've been doing this now for a couple of years, and it's been a really exciting adventure um, from those days to today. And so uh, for those of you that are new, we are on Spotify. We are on iTunes. You can go check out Sunday service on there. Um, if you're driving to work every day or you're driving to appointments or you're driving to whatever you're driving to, instead of listening to music, you could tune into Sunday service um, on Spotify or iTunes so you can check us out on there. I'm excited to have all of you on here tonight, though. I'm super, uh, super excited, you know, really this weekend, um, you know, want to share number one, some business updates uh, with everybody uh, that, you know, some things that are happening in mine and Paces and our other partner, Matt's business and talk about, uh, you know, a little bit different topic than we were going to this evening and more, more about like manifestation and, you know, really identifying you know, how to get to that next stage in your life, going from where you are right now to getting to that next point. Uh, because I see so many people, and if you're listening to this tonight and you've been in that same situation, you have not had, uh, you, you've basically been in a spot where you feel like you're not growing, you're not continuing uh, to go to that next level and you feel you feel kind of stagnant. You know, that's what I want to address on this call is, hey, like how, how do we go from, uh, where you're at right now, which is stuck or uncertain of where, where to go. Um, let's talk about how to get to that next level. Um, just because I, I have been there and I know, you know, there's a lot of people that are in that similar situation. So let's talk about it tonight, everybody. Um, first off, you know, wanted to, um, I want to give everyone an update on some of the things that, that are going on. Uh, you know, in, in pace and in my business as well. Um, you know, our, our wholesale business has been cruising along. So for those of you that have been following for a while, um, Sunday service and the business that we talk about all started with wholesale, wholesaling real estate and then fix and flipping and then buying rentals and, you know, all of the creative finance, you know, that pace has brought to the world um, in a bigger you know, and in, in a bigger way, right? So, um, so that's where everything began. And so, you know, really over this last 30 days, you know, looking at the month of May, you know, we had we had a pretty stellar month as far as wholesale goes between JV agreements and then also direct to seller. Uh, we had about 21 contracts come in for the month of May, you know, starting six new fix and flips from that month as well. And that's, you know, a, a good, you know, a bigger month for us, you know, generally, you know, we're super stoked in our business to be at, 
you know, anywhere from eight to 14 contracts a month is a pretty healthy, you know, happy number that we're pretty stoked with. You know, if we do more amazing, but we try to stay in that range. And the reason that we came up with kind of that range is, you know, identifying like where we actually want to be in our business. You know, if we want to, you know, be at a position where, you know, on average, we're getting, you know, we make close to $20,000 on an average assignment fee, for example. Now, if there's three partners between myself, Pace, and our other partner, Matt, and our wholesale business, you know, we're able to take home, you know, a healthy paycheck every month, uh, you know, doing that, that ballpark, uh, you know, assignment range when we're doing that many contracts a month. And so for us, we don't want to build that business any bigger, we are looking at doing, you know, additional projects and, you know, bigger, uh, you know, bigger projects now, you know, really going forward. And so, you know, while we continue to wholesale, we're continuing to buy more flips, we're continuing to uh, get into some bigger fix and flip projects, and we're continuing to do the the basics, right? The, the basics of, you know, uh, wholesaling, doing fix and flips and then buying rentals because that's what leads to all the other opportunities for you to be able to focus on and so you know what i want to talk about is uh you know specifically like how do you get to from where you're currently at to where you're trying to go in uh, in your business and really what's that next step that's what i wanted to, to chat with you guys about this evening so let's let's go ahead and get into it i'm going to share with you guys um Pace is driving home from a barbecue right now. So uh, once he hops on, you know, we'll we'll get his insight on the topic as well. But let's let's dive in. I'm going to share with you guys. If you are not taking notes, you know, get to get your phone out, get yourself in a position where you can make some notes on your phone, uh, get yourself in a position where you can, you know, physically write those notes down wherever that is for you. And I'm going to go through some questions that can help you figure out, okay, what, what can I go? Uh, how can I get to that next step? Right? So, um, so first of all, you have to know what that next step is. So if you're wholesaling, you're, you're doing deals currently, maybe you've never done a deal before. You're trying to get that next deal. You're having some inconsistency with deal flow. Um, the, one of the biggest reasons that happens is because you have something that I call the wholesale hamster wheel where essentially, and, you know, give me a peace sign if you've been in this situation before where the wholesale hamster wheel is simply this, you go, you market, you get a deal, you get it under contract. Now you put all that time and energy that, uh, to get that first deal. Now you're going and taking all of that time and energy away from getting the next deal. And now what you're doing is spending all of the time and energy trying to dispo that deal. So for those of you that may not know what dispo fully means yet, dispo basically means going and selling that deal. I'm a wholesaler. I'm bringing that deal to another investor to sell that deal. And so what happens is if you're spending all of that time and energy to get the deal, that's hours and hours and hours, especially if you're working maybe another job and you're having to put a lot of that free time into getting the deal, then you're running around trying to get that deal sold. And then what happens is you get to a point where you now sell the deal. Now what happens is you turn back around and you're thinking to yourself, oh my gosh, I don't have any deals. I don't have any more deals. I need to go and hustle and drum up another deal. And so this wholesale hamster wheel, the reason I call it that is that's how you get stuck in the trap of doing one 
deal to two deals a month or you know even more consistent than that maybe you get two deals one month you get no deals the next month then the next month you get a deal so if you've been in that situation um you know so that that's uh you know zach says you know every time uh any deal comes about only to have it not close that happens in, in our business, we typically are seeing about 60, give or take some in the mid 60 to 70% range of deals that we will actually close on. So out of those deals that we're getting, you have to account that some of those aren't going to close. And so how do we fix this? What, what is the solution, right? The, the solution to this is you have to have more sources of lead flow for you to get more opportunities and more deals, right? So for you to be able to get off that, that wholesale hamster wheel, you have to look at, um, you know, Glenn says, my last deal was going through to close and then probate hit. My gosh, Glenn, I feel your pain. We have a deal right now. We're buying a mobile home in Mesa, Arizona. We're buying it on a seller carry for 75 grand. We're putting like 15 grand down. And then the seller is carrying the payments at no uh, no interest, you know, just principal only payments. And so we we're expecting to close on the deal the beginning of June. Got pushed back because there is a uh, probate that has to take place because of a family member that was involved in the property years ago. And so, um, so something that you have to look at is okay, that's going to happen. Like, yes, were we still going to buy that deal? You know, uh, Glenn, if you manage that deal properly and you get the probate done, you're still going to get paid on that deal. You'll still get paid out. So like that deal we're buying, it delays that deal from closing. And so for those of you that aren't doing a lot, a lot of deals, you have to get to the point where you don't have, you have that one-itis, you know, Glenn, I'm counting on that deal. I know I know this feeling and I've been in that same exact situation where you're counting on that deal to close. If it doesn't close, it's going to cause a world of headache for you for moving your business forward. So, you know, anyone that could be in that situation, uh, Glenn, I would definitely recommend getting in touch with, you know, obviously getting in touch with a good probate attorney to help get that process moving along quickly. Um, with a good probate attorney within a couple months, you could have that wrapped up. So, Fingers crossed for you, my man, and hopefully that can get wrapped up for you soon. So, so let's get back to it, right? That wholesale hamster wheel for everybody hopping in. You're essentially that role where you get a deal. Now you're running around like a chicken with your head cut off to get that deal closed. So again, what is the solution? That is lead generation. Lead generation consistently happening in your business, whether you're doing all of it or not. And so what you have to look at are what are some of the ways that you can do this? I'm going to give you guys a couple ideas tonight, and then I'm going to give you guys a couple action items that you can take from this and then go and implement this week. When? So what I want you, what, what I want everyone to take away from this is action items for you to go and that this Monday, tomorrow through this week, you're able to go implement those things and get a positive result for your business from that. And so, um, so let's, let's do this. What are the main ways that you can get consistent lead generation coming in when, especially when you're newer, maybe you don't have a huge budget, but you have a little bit of a budget that you can, you know, do, uh, you know, maybe a couple thousand bucks a month. 
Um, you know, what, where do you go? What should you do? And then I'm going to give you guys another idea um, on what, what should you do if your budget is maybe $500 a month. So a lot smaller budget versus a little bit bigger budget. So this is what I would do. If you're in a position where you have a couple thousand dollars a month to be able to spend in your business uh, to get you know more leads, right? That money, what I would suggest spending that on would be, Carmen says zero budget. All right, I'm gonna do three examples on this call. We're gonna talk about a couple thousand dollar a month budget. We're gonna talk about $500 a month budget. And we're going to talk about the good old zero dollar a month budget. So the nada budget, meaning I don't have any extra to spend. I'm already spending what uh, extra I have for my, my life, you know, paycheck to paycheck. Right. So let's talk about it. So, all right, you're in a position, you're spending a couple thousand dollars. You're able to spend a couple thousand dollars a month. What I would do, and everyone's going to be in a little bit different situation. So take this and take what, what makes sense for you and throw away what doesn't make sense for you. So, if you're going to be spending a couple thousand dollars a month, what I would do is I would find a uh, a good virtual assistant, or you know, get yeah, probably one virtual assistant to do some text marketing for you, or I would get a virtual assistant to do cold calling for you. And the reason that I would suggest this is because you can leverage your time. If you have a virtual assistant calling 30, 40 plus hours a week for you or 30, 40 plus hours a week, they're focused on getting leads into your business, the oxygen of your business, getting leads into your business. So you get those leads consistently coming in. It may not be a lot only having one virtual assistant do it, but guess what? When you're on the phone with a seller trying to get a contract from a lead, a new lead, that came in, you still have new lead opportunities continuing to come into your business. So looking at that, okay, if I have more leads coming into my business, I'm able to focus more on just getting contracts done. And then what I would do is get those contracts, sell them, you know, find a good JV partner. Um, for those of you that are maybe new to this community, I would definitely recommend getting into the Facebook group, Creative Financing with Pace Morby. I'm gonna type that in. For those of you listening live, uh, Creative Finance with Pace Morby is the Facebook group. So, so if, you're in the, if you're in this situation that um, you're, you can spend a couple grand a month, get those leads coming in and be focusing on trying to get those leads under contract but you know get them under a contract at the, a price that they'll you know those deals will turn into money in your pocket and if you need help selling those deals you can find people in the creative finance with pace morby facebook group to help you that'll buy those deals from you or help you sell them so that's a solution if you're you know maybe a little bit short on time and you have a little bit of a budget now let's go back to the, if I have, uh, let's see, Zach says more like $300 a month budget. So let's do like the three, $300, $500 a month type budget. And then we'll, we'll finish up uh, this conversation with the, what would I do if I had the $0 a month budget, or I just don't have any money to invest in this business budget. Here's what I would do. Um, you're in that three to $500 a month range. I would spend your time driving for dollars. If you have time to spend 
And then I would take the extra time that you do have outside of driving for dollars and then call those leads, call or text those people, reach out to those people that are that you're reaching out to or that you're finding that are distressed, uh, these distressed homeowners, right? And it doesn't necessarily always mean just because a property is distressed that it's going to be a deal, right? It's your job, you know, our job as investors is to reach out to these homeowners, identify if there's actually a problem there and see how we can resolve that problem for them. So that's, you know, a place of mind, a place from your heart that you have to be coming from when you're doing these outreaches to these homeowners. Because just because their house is in disrepair, maybe their front yard's messed up, they got some broken down vehicles, they got, you know, it looks like a little bit of a mess going on at their property, doesn't mean that they are distressed financially where they need to sell the property or distressed, you know, mentally where they just are frustrated with the property and want to get rid of it. That's your job. That's my company's job when we're reaching out to these homeowners to identify if they're actually, um, you know, going to be a motivated seller that wants to sell their property for convenience to our company. So what I would be doing, you know, recapping a couple thousand dollar a month budget, I would be taking that time. I would be taking some of that money, hiring a virtual assistant. If you don't know where to find a good virtual assistant, you can go to startvirtual.com. Um, virtual assistants there get training on, you know, cold calling, you know, marketing for your real estate investing business. So they can help you out over there. Uh, the second uh, price or you know, the second marketing budget, you know, recap is what you want to look at is the um, three, you know, that few hundred dollar a month range. It's really not a ton to, to spend. So what I would spend that money on is I would get a good driving for dollars app, say something like, um, that's driven is a good one, you know, for hundred bucks a month, 120 bucks a month, you can get bats driven and be able to go and, you know, drive for dollars physically or virtually so that you can, you know, identify some of your own custom lists, custom, you know, data, because why do I say it's custom? Because you're physically there, you're looking at the house and you're identifying that the house is beat up. So maybe there is an opportunity there, right? So you add those people to your list. And then with the other part of your budget, what you can do is invest in a dialer. So you take those leads, those, you know, I don't even call them leads. You take the list because leads are people that truly want to sell. You don't know that when you're just adding distressed properties on a list. So add those people to your list. And then what I would do is add them to a dialing system. Take them to something where you can now take those hundred properties that you added to your driving for dollars list and add those, uh, you know, add those all into a dialer and then call them. If you don't have the budget, you got to call those people yourself or text them if you don't have the budget. So, um, so that's, you know, that's what I would do if you're in that range of, Hey, I got $500, 300, 250, that all kind of falls in that same category for me is, you know, as far as what my suggestion is, is to, uh, you know, drive for dollars because it's affordable. And, you know, Zach Hamilton says, I love batch driven. It's the best way to I've stayed organized. It's super helpful when, especially if you're in that marketing budget price point at the beginning stages in your business. So I think it's a good place to be in that price point uh, for your investment in your business. So, now let's talk about 
the zero dollar budget. I don't, I don't got a budget. I don't have, I don't have any money to invest in my business. So you're in this, you're in this position where you don't have any money to put into your business. So you have to do the part that's hustling, which is, this is what I would do if you literally can't afford baths driven. So if you can't afford the app to be able to drive for dollars or virtually drive for dollars, here's what I would do. For those of you taking notes, here are the action items I would do. And you could have success with any of these. Pick one and do that until you get a deal. Get that deal under contract. Get the deal sold. Make some money and now start investing money into your business. So one option you have is you can go, you could find a local title company or, you know, potentially an attorney states. Maybe the attorneys will do this as well. But you could find a title company that's investor friendly. And if you say, Cody, how do I know if they're investor friendly? What suggestion? Go to the Creative Finance with Pace Morby Facebook group, comment or make a post in the group. Say, hey guys, I'm so and so from, you know, Phoenix, Arizona. What is, uh, you know, what's a good investor friendly title company in this state? And you'll get a lot of recommendations for the title companies that investors are using. So now you have that information. You, you know, okay, this is a good title company that I could reach out to. Now reach out to that title company and introduce yourself. Find the escrow officer over there. Say, hey, you know, my name is so-and-so. I'm a local investor in this market. I'm looking to reach out to some, uh, you know, pre-foreclosures. And I wanted to see if, you know, if I can, uh, you know, get a list from your company of pre-foreclosure records for me to be able to reach out to those homeowners and see if I could do business with them and be able to bring business to your title company. And now what title company is going to say no to that? They're not going to say no to that as long as they're investor friendly. If they're not investor friendly, they're probably going to say no. But once you found one that's investor friendly and they give you this list of pre-foreclosures, what I would do is scrape together, go sell some old stuff, like sell some an old pair of shoes, like sell, you know, have a freaking garage sale, like get a little bit of money to skip trace those, those records. So you get a list of a few hundred pre-foreclosures, and then I would, you know, figure out whatever way you can to get those pre-foreclosures paid for. So literally 50 bucks, maybe 25 bucks, to get that list of data available. And then what I would do is I would call them. You call them on, just call them on your phone. You can get a Google voice number for free. Um, let's see. Um, so you can get the, uh, you know, you can get uh, a Google voice number for free. Ingrid Hernandez says, or door knock them. That's another good opportunity to get in front of those people. That was how I got my first deal that I brought to an investor. So a quick story on that, Ingrid, I'm so happy you brought this up. This is such a great, great idea. So the first pre the first deal that I got for uh, an investor buddy of mine when I was working as a realtor is I got a list of these pre foreclosures from the title company. And then what I did is I went into MapQuest online and I, I routed a bunch of them that were in the city that I wanted to do deals in. So it was Mesa, Arizona was the city. And so I mapped, I put all of those Mesa addresses into MapQuest and then I made it create the best 
you know, workable route. And I went and door knocked them. And I worked this territory of like 30 different foreclosures. And I would door knock them, door knock them, door knock them every weekend as the pre-foreclosure dates would come up. And I remember the lady's name. Her name was Dawn. And so uh, the house was on, it was Hampton Ave was the name of the street. And the lady's name was Dawn. And so I had door knocked her a few times. She wasn't interested in selling, wasn't interested, said she was going to figure it out, was trying to get a loan mod, was trying to do all these things, was not able to get it sorted out. And probably the third or fourth time that I door knocked her, she kind of opened up, hey, you know, I am I am ready and open to selling now. Um, I really don't have another option, you know, it, that's available for me. And so what I did, um, you know, was I, I didn't know what to offer. I, I didn't know what it was worth. It needed a lot of work. The property was pretty in bad shape. And so I reached out to an investor buddy of mine and I said, hey, you know, what would you want to buy this property for? And he said, da, 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 this number. And I'm like, okay, perfect. So I, you know, I, I let the lady know what I could pay for it. She was on board and got it under contract. And that was the first, you know, first deal that I was a part of, um, you know, as an investor. And how much did that cost me? It cost me my time of getting a list from a title company. It cost me my time of uh, driving around, obviously some gas too, right? You know, I just drove around and was knocking those doors. And on that first deal, that was a deal that made $30,000. And now how can, how does that affect the marketing budget when I'm able to get a piece of that? Right? So that's, that's what I would do. Um, if I was at $0 and I didn't have a, you know, I couldn't really scrape together a budget, but you have a car, you can get around. If you don't have a car and you can't get around, just virtually drive for dollars. That's going to be able to give you, um, you know, you got to have some grit to do that though. You know, it's like getting in front of those, uh, getting in front of those homeowners, you know, literally face to face when you're knocking those doors and seeing how you could be a solution to them. So, so let's go ahead, let's recap uh, these three, uh, three different situations that you can be in. So number one was if you have a couple thousand dollars a month, hire a virtual assistant, um, whether it's from startvirtual.com or somewhere else, find a virtual assistant to get leads coming into your business consistently so you can just follow up with them. The middle range would be... Um, if you have maybe a few hundred dollars to $500 a month to be able to spend, I would download batsdriven.com, you know, get that app um, and drive for dollars physically, drive for dollars virtually, and just put all of your time that you can into building up your distressed property list, calling those homeowners and trying to get those properties under contract. Um, and then third, you know, this step here. So Bilal is saying, how do you dispo the deal to the right buyer if you don't have investor friends or contacts? So the great thing about the world that we live in, you know, where, where everything is on social media, like some of you guys are watching this on Facebook right now. Some of you are on YouTube. This is between a few different platforms. We have a couple hundred people from all over the US and some other countries watching this live right now. The great thing, Bilal, is that if you don't have investor friends or contacts, make a note. So for those of you that are, you know, we're following the direction from the beginning of this call, which was if you aren't taking notes, get something in front of you to take notes or put it in your phone. But what you can do is if you don't know anyone in your market, 
this is what you can do. You can go on Facebook right now and type in in the top search bar, uh, search for groups. If you're looking for investors in Florida, Orlando, uh, you know, invest fix and flippers, Orlando, uh, real estate investors, Orlando, uh, you know, type in these different opportunities in there. And that's how you can find some of those people that are going to, you know, potentially be buyers of those deals below. So that that's what I would suggest because oftentimes you're not going to just be friends with the buyers. You're going to have to go out there and find those buyers that are going to be a good fit for you. So, um, you know, just finalizing that recap and, you know, catching pace up to speed. So pace, what we were talking about is what, what you would do, what I suggest doing if you're in a situation where you have maybe $1,500 to $2,000 a month marketing budget. So kind of a little bit more of a budget. Um, what I would do if I had maybe three, 300 bucks to 500 bucks a month marketing budget. And then we were talking about like bootstrapping it. Like I don't have any money to spend on marketing. What should I do? What are some of my next steps? And so those are the three things that uh, I was sharing with everybody tonight. And then tell me, tell me what those three things were. What, what was, if I have no money, what were, what's your number one thing? So if I had no money, what I was telling everybody was just the story of how I got my first real deal, which was I, I basically got a list of pre foreclosures for free from a title company and reached out to those pre foreclosures via door knocking. So I just went and door knocked those individuals until I got a seller. Her name was Dawn that wanted to sell her property. And that was how I got the essentially the seed money to continue doing other marketing and get more deals coming in the door. And so, okay. So if I, if I have no money, mm -hmm. the first thing you just told me was, um, door knocking. Yep. Which I've been doing. Yeah. The last couple of weeks, it was 107 degrees. The last time I went door knocking, that was fun. So door knocking is number one. What's another piece of advice for somebody who's free? So the other thing you can do is the JV route, which is you can call realtors. You can find buyers in your local market through one of the strategies I just shared, which is whatever market you're in, go on Facebook and search uh, Orlando real estate investors, Orlando fix and flippers, Orlando buy and hold investors, like different, you know, your market and, and real estate, anything, and you're going to find people there. And then also shared that people could obviously go to the creative finance with Pace Morby Facebook group and be able to find people nationwide that can help them connect with people. So, so check this out. Um, just about this. Cause I think this is so understated at mm -hmm. least in your and my content. Realtor. So I bought a $10,000 realtor list about four or five months ago, and I gave it to all 2000 students, right? Cost 2000 bucks, saved 2000 people, $10,000. And it was a uh, 1.8 million realtors, phone numbers, email addresses, date of birth. What's their favorite? <laughs> what's their favorite pie? What shirt did they wear yesterday? Type of data, like really, really good data. And I had um, Jonah Cochran, one of our students out of North um, Northern California, set, uh, hits me up on Zoom and goes, dude, I just called on that list. I got a hold of like, I don't know, he made 100 phone calls. He got a deal out of it, made $20,000 on it in like a matter of two days. So realtor list, I almost would like want to bring Jonah on and talk about how that deal, how he found that deal from that list of realtors. 
So if you are a sub two student, um, by the way, once Jonah came out and said that on last week's Zoom, I was like, you know what? There's probably a lot of new students that haven't gotten that list. So I re-emailed re that list. You can see Bilal Hussein uh, just said that email list is insane, unreal value. So I emailed it to everybody on Wednesday morning. I woke up the day after Jonah told me that and I was like, oh my gosh, like there's probably 300 students that have joined sub two that haven't gotten that list. So I resent that. But guys, I hear this all the time. Um, Cody is right. Working with realtors, I own my own personal house I just moved out of. I got that from a realtor that had a failed listing and it turned out to be a creative finance deal. So um, Cody is 100% spot on there. Cody, what would be number three? Another free one. So another three one could be other investors. I mean, this is the whole astro flipping model. Right which is just JV, finding other investors that have deals. Um, I've got, here's a good story. So I've got a student that takes a wholesaler's dead lead and turns it into, it's a land deal. And he ends up making on a JV, $360,000 assignment fee. It's absurd. Absurd. On a JV deal, on a G deal where the wholesaler's like, I got a house, on, I got a piece of land under contract. I don't know what to do with it. That's amazing. And all guess where he found that JV per person? In a Facebook group? In our Facebook group. Beautiful. Creative Finance with Pace Morby Facebook group. He found the person. He was just saying, hey, I'm one of, I'm one of Pace's students. Um, let me know if you got any deals. And he, this wholesaler reaches out to him, gives him this piece of dirt. He calls a developer. Developer's like, yeah, we'd pay about 500 grand for that. Wow. Crazy, 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 crazy. What's another one? I, I would say driving for dollars and door knocking kind of go hand in hand in a lot of ways, yeah. except driving for dollars is like the more, you know, I can do it virtually. Yeah. Virtually drive for dollars. I can't virtually door knock, unfortunately. No. <laughs> so driving for dollars, in, but in driving for dollars, really what it is, is driving for dollars is finding the house, but you still have to, in my opinion, you got to text, you yep. got to call, or you got to mail, right? Yep. You have to so, actually reach out to them once you, once you put them on the list. Right. You and I probably made a couple hundred thousand dollars in the last 12 months from batch-driven driving for dollars. Like that one deal that you found was like an $80,000 deal. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of the best ways to find deals. And it's just one of those things that takes a little bit more time. You know, it's, it's not as fast as, you know, having virtual assistants call for you and get leads into your business with you doing nothing, right? It's not as easy as that. You actually have to go drive or, you know, virtually drive and add those people onto your, you know, list and then call them or text them or reach out to them some way. It's the actual action that's going to make that happen, but you got to do it or get so your someone. Cody, to you, you mentioned this all, you mentioned this pretty frequently. You, you say when you're starting out, you either have time yep. or you have money. Yep. So if you have time, one of the best ways to get started is um, just go to batch. Actually, the last one we did was batchdriven.com. I've got a question here right here. Jeff Arjun says, how do you virtually drive for dollars? Well, you use batchdriven.com. So go to batchdriven.com and there's all sorts of cool training. We do a lot of training on that um, as well. We have 
well over a thousand users at, at but batch driven at this point. So big community, a lot of people driving for dollars, a good amount of those people driving for dollars virtually. But if you have a lot of time, but you don't have money, that's where driving for dollars is super helpful. That's also where JV is super helpful. That's also where calling realtors is super helpful. And also door knocking is super, super helpful. Again, we use batchdriven.com to tell us what doors to knock. But those are four really, really good ones. Is there anything else that we're missing? I, I know one. Probate attorney referrals. Mm -hmm. Okay, anything else? Hmm. I mean, those are the first ones that come to mind when it's, you know, no money, right? Just Yeah, I almost want to cross out probate attorney and just type in referrals because we've gotten referrals from a lot of different things. Um, yeah. But I'll just say referrals. The one that's really easy and obvious is probate attorneys, right? Um, that kind of yeah. referrals also kind of ties into realtors because a lot of when realtors know who you are and what you do, then you'll get realtor referrals. Yeah. Um, you said, you said, and this is interesting. So you got a list from a title company. Okay. So a title company will give you a list. A lot of title companies will do this, but mm -hmm. you still didn't, that's not how you got the deal. That's just how you got the list. You actually went yep. and went door knocking or driving for dollars. What'd door you knocked. do? I door knocked. What was your opening line? Think, trying to think back. I My think name I is Cody Barton and I want to buy your house. Yeah. I mean, essentially something super just blunt and straightforward like that. No strategy. I found some YouTube video with like some script of how to talk to a seller at the door and I just kept doing it. And then Love eventually it. someone was crazy enough after I knocked them a few times that, that they would sell it to me. Yeah, I would say, um, so I've been driving for dollars with uh, Bryce on our team quite often or quite frequently as of late. Mm -hmm. And we're constantly going to the door and we're saying like, okay, well, what's the first line? So I'd say first line is my name is blank. I'm an investor in the area, right? You can go that direction. Um, you can also say, hey, I was driving through the neighborhood and I saw your house look like shit. Just kidding. You don't say that. <laughs> um, but you say like, um, you know, are you, are you interested in an offer? I prefer literally this is my line. Hi, my name is Pace. Sorry for my handwriting, guys. I'm trying to go fast. My name is Pace. I want to buy your house. <laughs> That's it. Straight to the point. Hey, my name's Pace. I want to buy your house. And they're like, wait, what? Yeah, I want to buy your house. Are you guys open to selling? That's it. Just say, what the fuck? Like, wh why are we playing this game? It's so stupid. People spend so much time like going over this a thousand different times. It's just, my name is Pace. I want to buy your house. That's it. Why are you trying to come up with any other conversation at all? You know, like, stop messing around. I think people overthink it. They always, they overthink it. hundred percent overthink it. Now, if you know, know creative finance, here's, here's, the number one thing is if you understand creative finance, the number one way that, um, well, number one way that we've gotten our Airbnbs out of the state has been dead leads from wholesalers. 
So if you under if you're a sub two student, that's like Doug Lonza. That's the only method he uses. A lot of students, that's the only method they use to go out and get deals is they let all the wholesalers cold call text, do all that kind of stuff. And then they come in and just go, Hey, give me all your trash. So, um, now I've, we've, we've murdered how many ways you can get a deal for free. What about paid advertising? What about paid marketing? Have you talked about that yet? Yeah. So, so we were just talking about, you know, when you get paid marketing going, it's important to just have it consistently going. It's not something you turn on and turn off and you turn on and turn off. You know, it's something you have to identify what you can comfortably spend monthly and turn it on and keep it on so that you don't end up, you know, I talked a lot about the wholesale hamster wheel where people get a deal after they've done some marketing and then they stop marketing because now they have this deal that they're now trying to sell or do something else with else with. And now, their legion stops and it just turns off and they have to go start over again. So, wow. So Ryland door knocked the door knocked yesterday, came back today, signed. Amazing. Yeah. So good. Amazing. So, amazing. So we're talking about, uh, you know, what are some of the ways that you can consistently have leads coming in right, right away. And that's, you know, virtual assistants have been, you know, foundational for us and our business. And so, you know, I was sharing, Hey, you know, get a virtual assistant in your business that can do outbound outreach for you where they're cold calling, uh, cold calling these homeowners or they're texting or both, but cold calling is going to be one of those, one of the best ways to get leads consistently coming into your business if you have a budget. So then what you can do is just focus on reaching out to the leads that come through from those virtual assistants and converting those into contracts. So I had a student named Bryant yesterday. Uh, no, not yesterday. On um, my Saturday. Yeah, it was yesterday. Saturday morning. Every Saturday, I do a new student Zoom for two hours, 6 a.m. to 8 a.m., right? Yeah. And uh, first question of the morning, Bryant. Hey, Pace, um, started asking me questions about this virtual assistant. They're not doing great. They're not this. I'm like, well, how much are you paying them? He's like, $3.50. And I'm like, bro, like you hired the wrong people, first and foremost. Do, do they go and read things about your business or train outside of work, or they only do what you tell them to do? He's like, oh, they only tell, do exactly what I tell them to do. And even that, I have to tell them 12, 15, 30 times. So here you are, Cody, giving advice to people. Hey, go get a virtual assistant. My question is, there's a lot of people that are cheap and they go and buy, you know, get a virtual assistant just thinking like a virtual assistant is a virtual assistant and they go pay the $3.50. What are the things that you, this is what I told Bryant. I was like, first and foremost, are you a recruiter? He goes, no. I go, okay, well then why are you trying to recruit people for your business? Like go, find a company that we're, I'm like, I don't care who you use, right? There's, um, we use startvirtual.com, but there's a hundred other companies that do this type of thing. Startvirtual.com will help you find the virtual assistant. They'll onboard, they'll interview, they'll, you know, weed out the people who are trash and they'll actually get them up and trained, right? Like, so like day one, they're calling for you rather than like, okay, I have a VA. Now I have to train the VA for 30 days before they start calling or how, what do you, what advice would you give to somebody that's starting out with a virtual assistant? Yeah. So 
you have two options when you're hiring a virtual assistant. You either have one option where you can have a really, you know, potentially cheap virtual assistant and you are in a situation where they don't know anything about real estate and you're the one that has to manage them. You're the one that has to train them. You're the one that has to show them every single step of the way how to do anything. You're the one that has to play HR of hiring them and firing them and, you know, doing all, all of those different things for them. And then also be worrying about managing, uh, you know, whether they're actually working for you or not. And so there's a lot of things that you have to be watching out for. Um, but, you know, it most definitely can work hiring, you know, very, uh, you know, cheaply priced, you know, virtual assistants, if you're willing to do all those things. If you want it to be a little bit easier, kind of like the, the fast track, what I would suggest doing is, you know, hiring, you know, com a company like startvirtual.com, Pace mentioned it. There's multiple companies just like Start Virtual that do a great job with this. But, you know, the other alternative is you hire a virtual assistant that there is a manager that's helping you manage them. There's a team that has their best interest behind you and your success and helping make sure that the virtual assistant assigned that's working with you is being successful, is getting better and is getting feedback and coaching and that they're being managed without you having to manage them every second of the day. And so that's, you know, those are kind of the options you have um, when you're going to hire. And so Bilal is saying, I'm guilty of that. I hired a $5 VA, performance was awful, and tell a clear difference, distinction between $5 and $12. You know, a lot of times you get what you pay for, not to say you can't get, you know, really uh, affordable virtual assistants and, you know, make them work great for you. You most definitely can, but you have to just think about in your business, what do you want to spend more time doing? talking to homeowners and converting those into contracts or managing people. So that's just something you have to ask, ask of yourself. None of that. <laughs> None of that. I mean, that's what I, that's what I look at. I'm like, do you want to own a business or do you want to do this as a hobby? Right. Yeah. And a VA it's interesting. Like we have, we have admin VAs from startvirtual.com. We have bookkeeping VAs from startvirtual.com. We've got mm -hmm. social media managers, right? Making sure that we don't miss a, a message. If somebody sends us a deal, like somebody sent us a mobile home deal the other day and I missed it, but our virtual assistant caught it. So like for that, basically that one virtual assistant was worth it for five years worth of cost because of that deal. Right. Yeah. Um, then you've got virtual assistants that cold call and virtual assistants that lead manage. And we actually have virtual assistants that will close a seller over the phone from a virtual 3000 mile journey. They will close a seller over the phone better than most Americans ever will. And they don't look at it like, how do I make 20% of the deal? They don't look at it and say, how do I now become the owner of this business? I get, you know, it's interesting because I had a DM come in for, to me today and somebody, it actually wasn't a DM. It was somebody tagging me on an Instagram post and he said, man, with all the free knowledge that Cody, Pace and Matt put out, I was able to stop working for the wholesaler who's been making all the money and now I'm out on my own. I should have left this scumbag a year ago. And I'm like, don't tag me in that stuff. Um, so basically if you're hiring American based employees, especially in your acquisition department, just plan on those employees taking your business and going and creating their own. A virtual assistant doesn't do that. 
right? So you're essentially, would you, do you want to build a foundation or do you want to build your castle, build your business, so to speak, your castle? Do you want to build that castle on a foundation of sand or do you want to build it on rock? And when you hire acquisition people here locally, because, and, and why do people do that? They hire people here locally because they go, well, I can hire you for commission based only. And what ultimately happens is I don't have to pay you and you're going to go follow up on my leads. Okay, great. I get that. If you have a really tight budget, you can't hire a virtual assistant, hire here somebody here locally, commission based only, get your business off the ground, but plan on them 100% leaving and then complaining when they do. Even though you taught them a million dollars worth of business, they are going to complain. They will talk bad about you. They will justify their departure somehow, some way. However, with a virtual assistant, you still have people a year, two, three years later that are working for you. Yes, they get, they get paid more money along the way. Yes, they have bonus opportunities, but it is a dramatic difference in pricing and a dramatic difference in attitude. How many of our virtual assistants thank us every time they get a paycheck? Oh, it's like all of them. They're all super grateful every time, every day. And with them, with them, our American employees, it's like one in maybe 20. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry for any American employees that are following me right now, but are listening to this, but it's true. Like they don't thank us for the opportunity to work, right? They don't thank us for a good work environment. They don't thank you for any of that stuff. So for me, I just feel like the culture is easier to build the automation is there because nothing here, here's, here's a question. I say this analogy all the time. Cody knows this obviously, but I'm going to ask Cody this question. He's going to answer it in an obvious way. Cody, if you want an orange right now, where do you go? Grocery store. You go to the grocery store. Great. So every time you want an orange, you go down the grocery store and you buy a new orange every single time, right? You consume that orange. You're happy with it, right? Yep. Okay. That's like hiring an American. Okay. You want something done, you got to repeatedly say the same thing a hundred different times. You have to stay on top of it. You have to go through this arduous journey. But hiring a VA and training them properly is like buying an orange, planting the seed, and getting an or having an orange tree in your backyard. It just keeps growing and growing and growing, and you keep getting these oranges. You don't have to go down to the grocery store. You don't have to keep restarting that process all over. You have an automated business. You have fruit that continues to bear every single season. Whereas with an American, it's like, didn't we talk about this 35 times? Like, why do I have to tell you to do this again? What? Okay. Maybe I, maybe I give you a new desk. Maybe I give you a new this. Maybe I give you a company car. Maybe I give you a raise. Maybe I say things nicer. Maybe I, I'd put um, really nice treats in the fridge for you. Right. Maybe I, maybe I give you 25 more compliments a day than I already do. Maybe I, whatever it is, it's the maybe I, I need to do blank to try and get an American to work. So when you guys are talking about marketing and you want to start with American-based cold callers, you're building your castle on a bed of sand. You're building your castle on a bed of sand. And you basically, it's also like owning a Subway franchise, right? Subway sandwiches. Okay. It's you go buy a franchise. Cody, would you buy a franchise of Subway and then immediately start making the sandwiches yourself? No, definitely not. That's not a business. That's like a hobby, right? Yeah. It's a so job. <laughs> it's a job. And when you're hiring Americans to build your real estate business, at least for your lead generation, you can do other things like disposition and listing agents and other people here locally. But 
What I'm specifically talking about is your acquisition department, your marketing, your lead follow-up, and your lead conversion needs to be based on a bed of um, bedrock, not on sand. Does anybody in here disagree with me? Uh, Matt says he would buy a I would buy a Dutch Bros franchise as well. Dude, I told him we always joke about buying a Dutch Bros franchise. I'm like, this place is always damn busy. Like, the line is always. Is it busy. a franchise? Yes, it is. But you have how to, much is it? You have to have worked at a location for a couple of years before you could even become an owner, have an opportunity to be a franchise owner. Right. So that's definitely out the window because your boy ain't going to be serving coffee. Yeah, it's. Um... You know, this is interesting. Chris Johnson says, no such thing as a bad team, only bad leaders. I, I, you know, I do. I really like that. It sounds really good. Um, but I think I would consider myself a pretty good leader. And sometimes um, you just get people that have the wrong mindset that convince you up front. You know, they're on their best behavior to get the job. And then no matter how you lead them, no matter what you say, no, ma no matter what training or culture you do, you can't change the stripes of a zebra. You just can't. The other, thing, the other thing I would mention on that too is like, you know, you could have the best leaders in the world leading, you know, the best coaches, the best leaders of basketball coaching basketball. But if you put me out there with like a few friends that are just like me playing basketball against like the, the Lakers, they're going to destroy us. We could have the best leader possible, but if we don't have the skills and we just, you know, don't have the right team with the right attitude, we're going to get wrecked. So yeah. there's that side too. Yeah. I mean, I, look, I didn't, not to try and get too political, but when you look at like the unemployment stuff that's going on right now, there's so many people getting paid to not work, right? They're getting paid a couple thousand bucks a month to not work right now because of COVID. Yeah. And you and I are like having a hard time finding good people. Meanwhile, people are just getting paid to stay home, a measly couple thousand bucks. And if that's your biggest motivation is a couple thousand dollars so you don't have to have a job, that tells you something about our country. That tells you something about how spoiled America has become and that people are like, yeah, I'm good with just a couple thousand bucks as long as I don't have to do any work. I don't care who your leader is, dude. Like you, nobody has to. Now, could you get like Eric Thomas or Les Brown or some motivational speaker to go in there and change that one person's life? Yeah, you could do it. It might take two, three years or, and it might take like a full-time job to change that person's mindset, but who has time for that? You don't have time to change people, right? You do not have time to change people. You need to, it, this is kind of our new motto in our business right now. Like we need to hire people that know more about whatever the topic is than we do. Yes. I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, um, training anybody any longer. I'm done training. In fact, I want to hire you. I want, I, I basically want to hire you to train me on what your job's going to be. Yes. Right. Like yes. whatever that is, I need somebody that's already doing the job and wants to elevate. Dude, that's what I'm so excited about. And just, I mean, just on that topic for everybody that's listening, we've, went the path of that first stage of just hiring anybody that would had a pulse that wanted to work commission only for us. And we've elevated through these stages and it's just part of the business. And, you know, something we're doing now is we have, you know, actual recruiters going out to recruit talent for us and an HR, 
you know, consultant that helps us, you know, get these people into place uh, in the business properly so that they're successful. And so it's night and day when you have actual professionals. And that's, that's one of my favorite things is when I have calls with people on our team that we've hired recently pace, and they just start rambling on about what they're doing. And it just goes over my head. I'm like, you're awesome. You know, as long as they know the direction of where we're going, I'm excited. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You look at this, this is really kind of tough. Like Ryland, look how, what he says, he says, sales training is tough. Train 300 sales team to cold call. The model was a hiring model because you just have to constantly train new groups and constantly motivating people on the team. I cannot disagree. I cannot disagree with you one bit. I agree with you 1000%. When we hire American acquisition people, it's not a sales training. It is a babysitting. Why did you not hit your numbers? Why didn't you work? Whereas with like virtual assistants, we actually get to talk about real things because we're no longer talking about, hey, did you hit your numbers? They're hitting. Hi, Hiel. Good to see you, Hiel. Hi. <laughs> Hiel stepped in the camera for like two seconds. <laughs> she didn't really. Bringing me a drink. I love it. Good to see you, Hiel, even though I didn't get to see you. So, um, interesting, interesting. So, um, you know who I would love to hire is Tanisha. Like, you, you meet these people. She already has a job, right? Usually the best people that you're trying to recruit for your company are people who already have um, a job, right? So somebody referred a videographer to us the other day. And when I called the videographer, I was like, hey, man, um, you know, what are you working on? Who do I have to steal you from? And he was like, oh, I don't have anything going right now. I'm just kind of working for myself. I'm like, red flag, red flag, red flag, red flag. Like right now, nowadays, if you don't have a job, I don't want you. If you're just like, oh, yeah, I'm unemployed or I lost my job or whatever, I don't, I don't want you. I want people that other people want. Right. I want people that have like such amazing value that I have to steal you from somebody. And I don't, I have no qualm with doing that. I will pay more money. I will do whatever. I am so over dealing with bad people. And our team right now, I couldn't tell you we have one bad person on our team. But it took well, years. You know, the, you know, the interesting thing is that people see that as like a bad thing. It's like recruiting from another company to, you know, recruit somebody to our company. Right. But what do professional teams do? I mean, what do, what does the NFL teams do? They literally like, they throw it up and like on the, on the red carpet, when people are trading, they're trading teams They're you know, they, this coach is bringing this coach over. They get this signing bonus. This is their new salary at this team. I mean, that's exactly what professional athletes do. So why wouldn't business owners do the same? It's, it's finding great talent. And if they're, if they're great somewhere else and you think that they would be a good fit within your organization. Why not? Yeah. Like Ingrid, Ingrid says I get recruited in corporate America all the time and there's no doubt in my mind, Ingrid is a super special person. So I can see that. Right. Um, Tanisha is like, I'm already plotting to fire myself from my nine to five. I would love to have like a Tanisha working for us. Actually, I would love to have Ingrid working for us. Ingrid might be a really good disposition person for our team if she would be open to it. I don't know what she's, she's licensed realtor, super amazing. She'd be amazing for disposition for us. Tanisha or Ingrid, are you open to working our dispo department? She's like, recruit me. Who do I have to steal you from? Recruit me. 
Um, okay, so let's talk. Um, Ingrid, I here's another special thing. Guess what I don't do anymore? I don't hire people. I let Sharon do all of that. I'd love to have you talk to Sharon. And Tanisha, I want to talk to you as well because I want to, I have a completely special job for Tanisha. I would love to have her. Um, Tanisha is probably one of the most helpful people um, in sub two. She's amazing. So anyway, what are, what are some big changes we've made in our business re, uh, recently? Oh man. Um, which, which business just real estate? <laughs> <laughs> Best answer. My partner could have said, which business, which business it is. We're having a good time, man. It's interesting because I go, um, to other social gatherings with people that are not in real estate. And I go, um, what do you do for a living? And they like, Actually, this I had this thought, okay? So I go to church for the first time in a long time today. I, I did not wear my son's jersey, but I did go to I did go to church. I saw that. I thought you were lost. I'm like, where are yeah, you? Yeah, because Pace lost. No, I enjoy church. The problem is I, we travel so much and then we're busy yeah. on Sundays, you know? So I, I do enjoy church. So we go to church today and I'm sitting in there and the number one question that men ask other men is what? What's the question? How's work? Or what do you do? Yeah. Right. Oh, like we you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't know if women do that to each other. I'd be curious, like, hey, women that are watching right now, do women, when you guys meet each other, do you say, What do you do? Or what's like the question? Because for us she asks, Where are you where are you from? Oh, she says, Where are you from? Yeah. Okay, but men ask, What do you do? Or what's you, what what do you do for business or whatever, right? It p- kind of depends on the atmosphere, but it's always the question is always geared towards what do you do? How do you make money? Right? Ingrid says, hell yeah, we do. Okay. So I'm at church today and I go, oh man, what do I say to people? What do I say to people when they ask me, what's your job? I almost was like telling my wife today, hey, just tell people that my husband's unemployed and see what happens. Right? Because it's like, how do you, how do you do that? What, what, Cody, what, if I asked you right now, what do you do? What do you say? I say real estate. <laughs> oh, you're, you're an agent? Yeah, then people always follow up. Oh, you're a realtor? Well, no, but I flip houses and stuff. Like, you know, the TV shows? Like, yeah, that, that's what I do. Okay, cool. So for me, I am hesitant to say that because that turns into a whole conversation. Then I get excited and then I st- sound like I'm gloating, you know, because it's like, oh, well, what do you do? It's like, well, my partner, I fix and flip like five or six houses a month. We, you know, have a big <laughs> rental portfolio. We've got, um, tell me when you want me to stop. We've got Airbnbs. Um, you know, we, we do a lot of wholesale. We build new homes. Da, 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 da. You know, I, I could, I go into this whole thing and then people, but they always have a response after every time I say something, it's like multiple business businesses inside of real estate. And then I ask them what they do and they go, um, I, I work at such and such, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, man, that's cool. That's so cool. Right. Yeah. And I'm not knocking people to have a nine to five job at all. It's just that it's interesting. Like as you get into real estate, the opportunities are so powerful to open up other businesses that it's, it's like not, you, you can't just have one business in real estate. There's too many opportunities, way too many opportunities. So back to the question, what are some recent changes we've had in our wholesale business? Yeah. uh, Well, in our wholesale business, we've, 
I mean, for those that don't know, most of our wholesale business is, you know, running with virtual assistants um, from lead generation to admin and system side of the business to um, lead management to part of the acquisitions. We do have a U.S. based acquisition, Mason, which he's doing a great job. Shout out to him. If he's listening. Um, and then the the marketing is really the thing that's changed because we do have also in the U.S. We have Caroline doing Dispo and then we have Nick doing JV. Um, but the I would say one of the biggest changes is we're doing direct mail now. Our first mail direct mail campaign just went out on Friday, actually. How much are we spending? Um, like $9,200 a month. Why? On direct mail? Uh-huh. Um, the main reason that we decided to do direct mail was to kind of hedge because for those that are listening and that have heard, you know, stuff going on in the texting world, um, texting is getting a little bit more challenging. The uh, deliverability and all of that is getting a little bit more challenging. And so we don't want to wait until texting goes away per se to make a change. So we're adding direct mail as another pillar of our marketing. So we do cold calling, which is where most of our deals come from, then texting. And then now we're, you know, we just started direct mail to just diversify our, our marketing channels. Was the direct mail my idea or your idea? I, I think we've kind of always like poked around the idea, but I, I don't really remember. Definitely your idea with the company that we go with, you're like, let's use them. We're starting now. And I'm like, perfect. And then, yeah, because just- I came home from a mastermind and he's a friend of mine and um, he's doing a great job for other people here locally. And so I was like, hey, man, let's uh, let's get the direct mail going. You go, actually, Matt and I were just talking about that a couple of days ago. We wanted to start doing direct mail. Yeah. So I think we should track that, let people know like, hey, we're at 9,200 bucks for the month. Here's how many mailers. Maybe we should talk about that next week as our topic. Yeah. Let's talk about like, will you, will you run some numbers and figure out what's, if we got $9,200 that we send out, what's our mailer look like? Did you already make that decision? Oh yeah. Okay. So let's find out what our mailer look like. Um, who's going to answer the phone calls? How many calls do we get for 9,200 bucks? Cause essentially for $9,200, you're probably going to send out close to 20,000 mailers. Is that about right? You know, way better than me. Matt, yeah. Matt went through that with, uh, Jason. Yeah. Usually you're at like 50, somewhere around 50 cents, depending if you go like the postcard route, you'll be less than that. But, um, so let's just say it's 50 cents. You're probably like 18,000 mailers, something like that. And, Mm -hmm. um, 18,000 mailers, if they're super niche, you should get about 20 to 30 phone calls for, for 18. That's so crazy, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. You send out 18,000 mailers and you get 20 to 30 phone calls. So those phone calls are highly valuable. You never want to let those go. So what's our plan with those phone calls when somebody does call on our mailer? So when, when they're calling, they're going to be uh, getting looped in to talk to sweet Rob, one of our virtual assistants that takes all like inbound, like, you know, when we were doing uh, voice broadcast or ringless voicemail, when those calls would come back, sweet Rob is used to answering inbound calls. So he's going to be on ready for those calls. So he's going to be calling during the day, but then he'll be taking those inbound calls as they come in. I love that. I was answering phone calls. Although uh, actually when you and I first met, I had two phones. Yeah, I remember. I remember it was uh so what, what was that like when you were, 
I mean, sharing with everybody when you were doing direct mail, like how many calls would you get? Like, what was that like? What was the spend like? I'd spend 20 grand a month um, on direct mail. This is why I started hating direct mail because what, what we did is we collectively put, um, so let, let me kind of draw a visual for people that don't understand how this works for like home investors. Home investors is so funny. If they saw me doing this, they'd threaten a lawsuit. You guys can sue me. Please sue me. So here's the problem with home investors. Okay. So if I'm in Arizona, there's 20 of us. Okay. There's 20 home investor franchise. And if you don't know what home investors is, that's the we buy ugly houses people. Okay. The caveman, we buy ugly houses. Okay. I was one of 20 people. So if 20 people essentially, um, you know, some people are putting in 20, some people are putting in 15, 10. When I first started, I was putting in $5,000. Then I started making money and I upped it to 10. Then I upped it to 15. Then I upped it to 20. Okay. For $20,000 and well, let's do this. The average person puts in 15,000 and there's 20 of us. So that means collectively, we don't spend money individually. We spend it collectively. So if you have $300,000 and the number one form of marketing is direct mail, guess what you have to do every single month? You have to spend about $250,000 on mail and then the other $50,000 goes for like billboards, um, SEO, you know, Facebook ads, all that kind of stuff, okay? Most of our flow in our phone calls came from direct mail. So the problem with $250,000 of direct mail is that you run out of niche lists, like, like foreclosure and probate and all that kind of stuff after you spend about 3,000 bucks. Okay, so now I've got $247,000 to spend on non-highly um, pain-pointed lists every month. So like 80% of that is non-super motivated people and only 20% of it is. And it's just a big waste of money. So what I, here's where it's different for us than what it was for me. Is we're only spending $9,200 a month Mm -hmm. So we can go focus on highly, highly pain pointed lists. Yep. They're going to have a lot more pain than us spending this much money every month to just go after a wider audience, right? Yep. We, we don't want to go wide with direct mail. We want to go deep. We want to go to people that have foreclosure, probate, you know, divorce and bankruptcy all in one and stack all that stuff together and focus on pain. But for $20,000, my $20,000, this is essentially what it looked like for me. $20,000 would get me about 20 phone calls a month. So each call equaled $1,000 of marketing. That's, That's how expensive, expensive it is. Phone call. It's the most ex when my wife was giving birth to my baby. Okay, when my when my wife gave birth to my baby, I was picking up my phone call at like what it was like ten o'clock at night because each phone call was a thousand dollars. God damn! I know. So that's why I carried two phones because one phone was the money phone. I never put it on silent, even when we were in the movie theater. I always had my hand on it, and I picked up the phone every single time, and I did that for two and a half years. Okay, now here's my number. So I have 20 phone calls. Here's what ultimately the, the national average for homevestors, this is what the national average is. They say you're going to get, out of 20 phone calls, you're going to get 11 calls. 
I'm sorry, 11 actual leads, okay? Because what happens is the other nine leads are dead. Like immediately, because it's like some landscaper calling you or, hey, I'm a Verizon rep and I just saw your billboard and blah, 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 blah. It's like stupid crap. Or even like you'll get people that are religious people that are like, hey, wanted to wonder, wanted, wondered, you know, if your billboard, if you wanted to put like a, a cruise, you know, whatever, they'll, they, you just get the weirdest calls on these nine. Okay. So they're just dead. They're not even people that have houses. Okay. So you really get 11 leads. Then you have eight phone calls, like, or actually eight conversations that are worthwhile. And then what happens is you end up going on five appointments and you end up getting one contract. That's the national average right now for home investors is $20,000 to get one contract. Crazy, right? Oh. Okay. So my number was this. I would get 11 leads. I would end up having probably, I, I was top three at home investors. So a very different number. I'd have 10 good conversations. I would end up having, oops, my bad. I would end up having eight appointments, not five. And I would end up not having one contract, but I'd have three to four contracts. Okay. But even then, if you, if you look at three contracts at a $20,000 spend, you're looking at like $6,500 per contract. Okay. So 6,500. So Jeff Arjun says, I was considering home investors. Thanks, Pace. I'll try my best learn marketing from you and your team suggested, bro. I want to show you all the emails and phone calls I get from Homevestors asking me how to leave Homevestors. It's the worst business model. It's bad. Oh. It's horrible. Okay. <laughs> so if your cost per contract is $6,500, that means I have to sell my house. I have to sell my contract. I have to wholesale it for $6,500 to make $0. Okay. That's that model. Now, this is obviously a bad model because you're collectively grouping everybody's money together. Now for brand recognition, it was great. For brand recognition, it was great, but Homevestor's direct mail model, 80% of their mail was going to trash. So this is why I didn't like Homevestor's mail model is that 80% of their mail was going to trash. And what do I mean by trash? I mean, non-motivated sellers. And they had to do it because they had all these 20 guys spending money every single month. And they're like, well, we don't know what to do. We have to spend the money somehow, some way, right? So if you are doing direct mail, um, if you are doing direct mail, the smart thing to do is direct, direct mail to your driving for dollars list. Super smart. Because it's niche, right? Super niche or you go after high pain point. So Cody, my question to you is what, what, what did you um, talk about with the direct mail campaign? What did you talk about in terms of pain points? So specifically with their company, um, they're a little bit more like proprietary on like what they're actually marketing to, but essentially they're, they're looking at multiple layers. So they stack their data so they're going to be stacking it against like pre foreclosures. They're, they're also looking at people that have had like, you know, bankruptcies. They're looking at people that, um, you know, within our criteria of what we want to buy as well. So, you know, we, we were able to go in and rank the, 
you know, like the types of properties that we like to buy. So like mobile homes. So we ranked those high. We ranked single family high. Um, we ranked land high, right? So it's funny that I get so excited about mobile homes more than I get excited about any other type of home. Same, honestly. One of your and my first deals together was Mulberry. And oh, yeah. yeah. What did we make on that? We made like 38 grand on that assignment on this crappy mobile home. Yeah. Do you remember like, how I got that contract? Oh my gosh. Yeah. The most manipulative way ever. I called the yeah. city of Mesa on the seller. Yeah. Sorry guys, I did. The, the roof was caving in, it had been vacant for two years and it was growing mold. And so I was like, I'm gonna call a code violation on the city. So I called the, I called the city and I was like, yeah, I'm making a complaint, I'm a neighbor. Then I got a copy of the code violation and I sent it to the seller who was, we were already talking to the seller, but they just hadn't signed. I go, hey, they got, you just got, an, you got assessed a code violation. One of your neighbors called and complained and she's like, oh my gosh, okay, I, I need to sell it. And I go, yeah, no problem. I'll take care of the code violation. And um, so we, we got that deal. We made 38 grand, but then they reassigned it the like, people we sold yeah. to. And they made, I think there was seven daisy chainers on that one deal. Yeah, that was one of the more frustrating things at, at that beginning stage. <laughs> yeah, that was so tough. It was a mobile home deal. We That one really opened our eyes in terms of how much money you could make on these mobile homes. And then one of our first flips together was Boise. Yep. And... um and uh, we, I don't know, we made on Boise a good amount. We made a really good amount. 45. No, actually, I think like 50 something. Yeah, we made, that was a great deal. It was mm -hmm. only a two bed, one bath or two bed, two bath. Yeah, we actually just wholesale the property, right? Like two, two doors to the left and the one behind it. It was like a, it was literally falling over. So it was just the land value, but we just wholesaled one. I just, you know, I was looking at it uh, earlier this week. Why did we wholesale? Why didn't we flip it? It basically just land value. It was like falling over, like not really remodelable. So it's just like someone's gonna place a new mobile on it. Yeah, right. So here, here's a here's a question. I think a lot of people would probably get a lot of value from, um, maybe doing some case studies. I don't even know a lot of the deals that our company is doing right now, which is good and bad. The bad part is that some people want to ask me questions about stuff. I'm like, honestly, I don't know, right? Um, Ryland Reed says, Pace would love to do a collab with you on a 420,000 on a contract for a single family home with two trailers, $3,900 a month, more with Airbnb downtown Miami, had him on $70,000 down owner finance. His wife flipped him, him to all cash waiting here back. Okay. Ryland reach out. Happy to chat with you about it, but, um, Javier says, Pace, I have a mobile home I need to assign. Javier, we really only do mobile homes in Phoenix. Do you have a mobile home here in Phoenix? If you do, why haven't you sent it to me? Or Florida. J uh, JP Slaughter said, code violation is cold-blooded. Yes, I'm sorry, but we did make 38 grand on it. More importantly, on that deal, if people knew the actual story of that deal, we gave the people a car, we fixed all their plumbing at their other house. We fit like multiple times. We probably gave ended up giving them six or seven thousand dollars worth of like free benefit helping them out on their other house. Oh yeah. So Jeff is asking about a home in Port St. Port St. Lucie. We have a house in Port St. Lucie you could buy from us right now if you want. We're we're gonna be flipping. Is it, it a creative finance deal or is it a fix and flip? Fix and flip. 
Love it. Um, guys, let's go. Let's take a vote on what you guys want to talk about next week. Everybody in the audience, what do you guys talk, want to talk about on Sunday service next week? Um, I'm thinking we could do case studies like recent sub two and seller finance case studies and show people like what the closing documents look like and stuff like that. I think that would be fun. Yeah, I'm down. Yeah, if everybody's up for that, say to give us a yes. We got over well over 200 people in here. Tell us if you guys would be up for that. Everybody's watching the, the fight right now. Yeah. Mayweather and YouTube are fighting right now. Um, Dude, so money on that though. Bless them. Hey, Lawrence Swartz says he's working on a um, mobile home park in in Pittsburgh. Does it, ca does it really cash flow $6,000 a month? Meaning that me must mean you're buying it on creative finance. Lawrence, are you buying it on creative finance? Ryland Reed, we will not be talking about contracts. We never talk about contracts on here. I do not want to train the general public on contracts. That's like training, giving somebody a loaded gun. Um, if you need help with contracts, I would reach out to one of my students and have them help you out. Honestly, we, we tell people not to mess with contracts. Just have uh, Rochelle Jarvis from Constant Clothes handle all that stuff then you don't have to mess with it. Uh, just delegate that. You really don't even need to understand contracts, to be honest. Um, but I think I think case studies would be really, really good. Okay, so Tevin said, oh, Tevin, you will buy in Port St. Lucie. Reach out to me, guys. Sub two student. We're refixing. Um, John Lawal says, how to live in your first sub two house. We actually did that three months ago. Um, go find that that episode. That was really good. Um, Tevin says, Tevin, you really want that deal? It's a, are we, are we fixing, flipping that Cody? This is actually one. We'll see if they actually want it. Um, there's tenants in it until May of 2022, but it, it would be a reasonable buy and hold deal. So we were, we we're buying it, we're closing on it. And then we're, we were just going to list it on the MLS, but if we could do a deal with a sub two student and sell it to a sub two student, we would definitely be open to that. Love it. All right. Well, let's do case studies next week. And um, what, what we'll do is we'll break down maybe the Yuma mobile home park. We'll break down the Yuma sub two deal, what we're going to do with that. Um, I committed to a deal that I'm going to do without you. Um, it was the deal you didn't want from Katie. Um, and the reason why I did that is because I'm going to partner with a student and do it, sell it on a wrap. And I'm going to have this, I'm going to partner with the student, let them run the whole wrap and make all the mistakes. And I'm going to walk them through the whole thing um, and have them educate this. I'm going to take, pick like a new Arizona student, nice. have them run all the stuff and go, look, I got, I got the bills. I'll take care of all the finances. I want you to go through the process of doing a wrap brand new and then every single day you do, you track everything, every piece of thing you're doing. Then we do zooms along the way, or I'll coach you along. And then that way I have like a whole module on a live wrap deal, which will be cool. Nice. Love that. Yeah. So I won't really make any money on it, but it'll be a great deal to show people exactly how to do wraps. Cody and I don't really do a lot of wraps guys. We prefer to hold properties. Um, we're like real real estate investors, wrap I people. I feel like people that are selling on wraps are like just starting out. So um, but that's an opinion. There's guys that are way, way, way deep in this game, 50 years that are still doing raps. And so it's more of a joke than truth. Um, 
next week, case studies. That's what we're doing. And um, let's wrap this up, bro. Thanks for starting this without me. Hell yeah. Happy to do it. Um, awesome. Well, yeah, everybody, as always, we do Sunday service every Sunday, 7 p.m. Arizona time. And if you're not already following us on iTunes and on Spotify, you can listen to past episodes on your drive to work. You can tune in, obviously, live every Sunday with us as well. Excited. Next week, we'll do some case studies and have an amazing week, everybody. Later, guys. Go um, Mayweather. Bye. <laughs>